I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. I hope you had a good weekend. Glad you're here, whether you're watching live or you're watching later in the replay. I, you know, there's a, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, um, blessed are those who mourn. And, you know, <laughs> really? I mean, nobody likes to mourn. Mourning is the result of, of heartache, of grief. Why would we be blessed? Which, if you look at the Greek, makarios there, it literally means happy. How can you be happy in your mourning? Well, I think the rest of the sentence provides us some context, and it says, for they will be comforted. How are we comforted? Yes, the Holy Spirit is the ultimate comforter. But I I really, if you look in Scripture, God likes to put on uh, a a face, if you will. Uh, And and the face that he chooses are his people. So we're going to be talking about grief, uh, pain, mourning. But we're going to offer you some hope. And that is the title of a book that is out now. It is called Hope in the Morning. And you notice the you in there. Uh, this is uh, a resource, uh, a community, if you will, for people who are going through difficult times. And I have uh, one of the contributors and the editor of this book, as well as uh, another writer and contributor to the book, with me, Emily Curtis and Jill Aguiar. Uh, and they are here to tell you how God... Uh, through their lives uh, has allowed them to comfort others in their difficult times and how they found comfort as well. So appreciate you guys being here. If you're going through a difficult time, if you know someone who is in that that mourning phase, uh, you might want to hit the share button and say, hey, look, here's here's some hope for you. We understand. We, we, we know that it's difficult, but there is there is comfort and there is hope, and it comes through God's people. So, appreciate you guys being here. Emily and Jill, great to have you on Life Today Live. Welcome. Thank you. All right, Emily. Um, um, just give us a little bit of context to understand, uh, you know, where you're coming from, why this has been such a labor of love for you, and, and surely there's some fulfillment after many years of hard work to actually see this book in physical form so that you can hand it to someone. Um, yes. What are you trying to accomplish through this? So this book was really laid on my heart after another ministry that I had a couple years ago where I created gifts for grieving people. And through that ministry, I learned various people's stories. They would confide in me and I would just be a listening ear for them. And honestly, Randy, I learned a lot about how to interact with grieving people. And there were things that I had been saying and doing that you're well-intentioned in those, but they're hurtful or they're just not helpful. Um, So as I got to know these people, I really thought, you know, this could benefit the whole church. It could really benefit everybody, but the church, especially those of us that want to be the hands and feet of Christ Mm -hmm. to be equipped and to know how to purposefully minister to other people that are around us. Um, We are all guaranteed trials in this life. We will not live a life without suffering. And so knowing how to be equipped um, with truth, with scripture, with hymns, um, you know, the, the scriptures tell us to comfort one another with psalms and spiritual songs. And 
Um, so putting this together, as I approached various people, I just asked them if they would be willing to share their story and then share what had been most helpful and what had been most hurtful to them mm. in their stories so that other people could benefit from that. All right. We'll, we'll get into the details of that because, uh, you know, a lot of times we don't know what to say, but we run our mouths anyway out of good intentions. But you're right. Um, there are some things we can say and do that do help and others that uh, have unintended consequences oftentimes. Um, Jill, uh, how, did, how, what, how did you get, let people know, I mean, I know your involvement, let people know your involvement with the, the book and your contribution and your story. Um, so Emily and I have been friends for the last 13 years. We both met shortly after we'd gotten married and in different places and then came here to North Carolina and ended up at the same church. And um, we became pregnant in 2011 with um, what we didn't know at the time was a little girl. We went in for um, our basically halfway through the pregnancy for our midterm ultrasound and were told that there were a lot of things wrong with our baby. And they didn't have any idea at the time what that was. And uh, we knew that it wasn't um, Down syndrome, but they didn't know if it was another type of syndrome or really what it was, but they just saw a host of issues and basically just stopped the appointment and scheduled us for a high resolution ultrasound that wouldn't happen for another week or so. And at that ultrasound, they determined that they thought that she had a condition called triploidy, which means that she had another set of chromosomes, usually from a twin that didn't survive hmm. or um, just something that went wrong in the fertilization. And so um, it's not compatible with life. A baby with triploidy can't survive. They might be born living, but um, it's it's a death sentence. So we went through. Yeah, I'm just curious. What did what did that do to you that that day? What did that news do to you? That was, um, I mean, it's devastating, yeah. you know, to hear that your first child. I mean, any child, but the first baby that you're so excited about um, is not going to not going to live, but is currently living inside your room and is safe at the time. Um, but they told us that she likely would not be born living, that we would just come in one day for an ultras ultrasound and that they would just not find a heartbeat. Hmm. So, um, and they expected that to be fairly soon. So we just kept going from appointment to appointment and they were surprised each time that her heart was still beating, but they still gave us the same prognosis each time. And we finally got to a point in the pregnancy where they said, okay, she's big enough. She might be born living. And, but because we don't have a confirmed diagnosis, then we will have to take life-saving measures to, to help her mm -hmm. because it's not confirmed that she actually has a diagnosis that's incompatible with life. Mm -hmm. And as, um, so they would have taken her from us and tried to resuscitate her and, you know, yeah. done chest tubes and all that kind of stuff. And that just sounded horrific to us. You know, we wanted to be able to just hold her and have those last moments in peace with her if she was going to pass. So um, the only way to avoid that was to do an amniocentesis. So we went through that 
and they called us and they were shocked. They said her chromosomes are perfect. We can't explain to you what what you're facing or what's going on. We still think that she's far too small. We still see a lot of issues whenever we do an ultrasound. But every time we went in, things looked better. Mm. So we just kept going from appointment to appointment. And uh, there's a long story in there because that was many weeks of um, working through various things and different doctors giving their opinions. But we ended up um, at a point where we had to choose what hospital we were going to be at because she might be born living and we needed to be at a hospital with a high level, high level NICU yeah. to accommodate her. Yeah. So um, that ended up happening. She was born and um, they, we went in. Some We could tell that some things were going up wrong. We went in and they said, we've got to take her out now. All the blood flow is reversed. If we don't get her out now, she won't have any chance at all. And, but she was still, they thought she was too small for the breathing tube Mm. and they tried to stop, you know, labor, they tried to stop everything, but there was no, there was no stopping that. Like she wasn't getting what she needed. So it was either take her now and see if they could resuscitate her or just let her pass peacefully with us. And, um, by God's grace, they got the breathing tube down her throat. She was 12 and a half ounces. She should have been, they wanted her to be at least 500 grams and she was only 356. And so they really didn't think that tube would fit, but God miraculously let it slip down after about the third or fourth try. And um, then it was the fight in the NICU, the roller coaster there for the next four months. But she would, you say she was 12 ounces when she was born? Yes. Yes. Oh they, they nicknamed her Sprite in the NICU because she was the size of a can of Sprite. Oh my yeah. word. Okay. Yeah. D- during all this time, I mean, you're a believer, you know, um, mm-hmm. were you at the church with, with Emily there at the time? Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. What, <laughs> what, what did each day, what did each morning, you know, <laughs> each new day look like? Was it, was it just, was it depressing? depressing was it had just been a roller coaster of emotions it was my husband was still working so a lot of those days i was by myself um we had just moved so that was helpful in some ways because i could stay busy with things around the house like unpacking boxes i was also really sick though so Mm. a lot of times it was just resting and in those moments you know I, i did a lot of reading i found a blog of somebody who actually had had a baby with triploidy and just um, watched what, like, thankfully they had documented everything that they had walked through. And that was really helpful just to see another Christian couple who had carried their baby to term, like knowing that she would pass and yet seeing the hope that they still gave, that was really helpful. Um, I just, I was careful not to go onto medical websites. <laughs> um, I, I was, so I guarded that, and then I listened to a lot of music, and obviously read the word and listened to a lot of music. So I mean, obviously you were, I mean, you, you were praying. I'm sure you know praying for a good outcome. Yeah. But what was was God giving you anything that you can you could hold on to to you know give you hope, or or were you just kind of having to walk through it a little bit in the dark? I think there's this. Um, it's not, you don't feel like you're in the dark per se, because you have his word, but he loves to put you 
in that period of waiting mm. and just waiting on him. We had to wait a long time. It felt forever to get to the next ultrasound. Um, and that's so even between that first ultrasound and the next ultrasound, we really didn't know until that next ultrasound that we were facing death. Mm. You know, the yeah. first ultrasound, we just thought, okay, maybe she has a heart defect yeah. or, yeah. you know, something that might be corrected by surgery. But it wasn't until that second ultrasound that we really realized what the more full picture. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but you'll also see in this book, my mom actually wrote in this book as well, because my dad had passed away when I was 15. Mm -hmm. And so that played hugely into my perspective because I had already seen God work so tremendously in our family's lives, mm -hmm. even through my dad's death. And um, just my mom constantly repeating to me, God is good. God loves us and he never makes a mistake. And so having already walked through that and seen God's faithfulness, I had no doubt that as difficult as this was, that he was going to carry us through again. And ultimately he held her in his hands and there was nothing that I could do with like me and my body in the pregnancy that I could sustain it myself. So, yeah. And, and how is Sprite today? She's, she's a little firecracker. She's, she's still tiny. Uh, she will be 12, uh, next month, which mm. is crazy. Um, she's not quite 50 pounds, oh. but, um, yeah, so she still has her set of challenges and always will, but most people wouldn't know it immediately when they meet her, mm. uh, because she is so little, they just think she's a lot younger than yeah. she is. Yeah. She loves life. She's a happy little girl. So I, I was going to quick a fun little thing is that Noelle was due in February. Mm -hmm. Still had her in December, and they had already picked her name to be Noelle before ah. they ever knew that God would bring her here yeah. in December. Yeah. So Emily, Emily, you were you were with her during this. You were with uh, Jill during this time. Mm -hmm. yeah. What um, what do you do? Because you don't know the outcome at that point in time. Yeah. How do you comfort someone with with a death sentence perhaps hanging over them, you know, or at least the question marks? How do, how do you come alongside that person? Well, I remember clearly the day that, that my husband told me that she had gone into labor. It was going to make me cry because I knew that she was too early. Mm. And we had been praying for her for so long that I knew she wouldn't make it, you know. And so my prayers changed. And obviously we're still praying for Noel, but our prayers drastically switch to praying for Jill and for Tom and for the path that they're going to walk, just knowing that she was so tiny. You know, it was, it was really, it was God's miracle that he saved her because she was, like, I remember going in the NICU, it looked like you were looking in the womb because she was so tiny mm -hmm. and so frail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like she said, they call it a roller coaster in the NICU because it's one day she's doing really well and she's gaining strength. And the next day it's, we don't know, she took a turn for the worse or she came down with this illness and you don't know. And so you're riding that roller coaster with your friend and it's a different, it's a different roller coaster because it's not, it's not my baby, but I love my friend and I loved her baby. And we had prayed for her through that whole pregnancy. Um, one of the tangible things that we did was had little tiny hats and and little booties made that would fit Noel because nothing fit her. Um, so we want to keep her warm. Of course, her as a mama, she wants to dress her up and take little pictures of her. And 
um, even the smallest preemie clothes were just swimming on Noel. Um, so that was something we did and we made her a blanket and um, you're just kind of walking alongside her, listening to her, listening, where is she at right now? Visiting, I remember visiting with you in your house um, and just sitting with her, just being there. You know, sometimes you just need to sit with them. Yeah. Friend of mine who wrote in here too, she had said, which I love this. She said, sometimes you just need to sit with them in the ashes and mourn with them. And then when they're ready, then you rise up with them and you walk alongside them. Mm. But as Christians, sometimes we want to pull them up out of the mire too quickly. And grief, grief is its own working in our hearts of the Lord. And it has to do its work. But we we sometimes struggle to get down there in the mire with them because it's uncomfortable to be there in their grief. But that's what Jesus would do. And that's what we ought to do for for our, you know, our friends and our family. And even for unbelievers, they need to see the hope and the love of Jesus. So you a couple of things you mentioned, uh, and one of them is what a friend of mine who is a, a chaplain for a fire and police department calls the ministry of presence. Because I asked him, I said, what do, you, what do you say to, you know, when you're on the scene breaking news to the parents that their, their loved one, their child just committed suicide or was killed in, in a car wreck or something? And he said, nothing. You're just there. Yeah. And I think I mean, that's time. And like you say, it's uncomfortable time. But how important is it that we learn to just be with people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just be still. Mm. You know, let them let them talk, let them grieve. And um, there are also people that have said at the end of their stories that just getting one of those tight hugs, you know, felt like people carried away a bucket of their burden when mm-hmm. they walked away because instead of going up to someone and just saying, hey, how are you doing? When they're going through a very tumultuous time, instead of just giving them a big hug and say, I am praying for you. And I'm so sorry that you're going through this and mean it. And if you say you're going to pray for them, pray for them. Don't just say that. Pray with them right then and there. Um, but part of why we wanted to do this as well is because it lets people for that chapter, they get to walk in their shoes. They get to walk those moments that they would not otherwise be privy to. They get to walk through those hospital doors. They get to walk into that ultrasound room. Mm-hmm. And so for, for those chapters, they get to carry that burden in their own heart. And so I really feel like it can grow them in empathy and in compassion for one another, because even if you've not walked it yourself, you now have an opportunity to experience it for a chapter and say, wow, I never realized that these are the thoughts that go through their heads, or these are the these are the things that are most comforting to hear when your baby is in, in the NICU. Yeah, yeah. The other thing you mentioned that I think is critical is you, you made little booties, whatever. You said you wanted to do something tangible. And a mm-hmm. lot of times when someone is going through a difficult time, we will say, oh, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you. Uh, and, of course, the world likes to mock the idea of thoughts and prayers. Um, right. and, and I think it's critical. I think you start there. But I don't think you end there. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times we take the easy road out and we we just stop Mm -hmm. there. How important is it that something tangible, when possible, is done? I think it's immensely important because it lets that person know that they are being thought of, um, that you're really taking the time out to do something just for them. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I learned over and over that was kind of news to me, and I think we all have been guilty of this, is don't say... Let me know if you need anything. That's actually one of the worst things to say, because as so many writers in here say, it puts the burden 
back on the person who's suffering to try and figure out how they can utilize you. But instead, be prepared. There might be things that you can do where you say, hey, I'd like to come mow your lawn. Can I come on Thursday or Friday? I'm going to come bring you a meal. Can I come Tuesday or Monday? Want me to drop it off or would you like some company tonight? Um, also being mindful that when people have loved ones in the hospital, I think a lot of times we think that we need to have this long visit when really short is good. You know, mm -hmm. I'd say you keep it to 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> so you're there, you're showing that you, it was important to you to stop whatever you were doing, make that drive there and be with them. Mm -hmm. But understanding that that is, it's an overwhelming time when you've got a loved one in the hospital and you you don't want to have to expend even more energy by visitor after visitor, you know? Right. And so 10, 15 minutes is perfect. Um, that's a great, really yeah. no, 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 really, yeah. really that's a great point. Cause I, I spent a week in the hospital a few years ago and you know, you're, you're in pain, you look awful and it does get uncomfortable quick. I, most people I was like, don't bother, you know, but it does say something just, just to show up and just maybe, you know, squeeze their hand or say, you know, let them know mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm just, I'm praying for you, but I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of things that we can do tangibly, whether it's, you know, if you have, if you have a friend that loses a child doing something that has their name on it or um, making a little, if you knew them closely, make a little book of memories that you have with that person to show them that you think about them often when you run into them. Another big thing is like, don't be afraid to say their name. Don't be afraid to talk about them. You're not going to rehash all of this with them. They're thinking of them all the time. Mm -hmm. And so they want to know that they're not forgotten to. They want to know that you still remember that their dad was funny or that their little girl was just had the most beautiful little lips or whatever it might be. They want to know that that loved one is remembered and that they were important and their life had value and mm -hmm. still continues to have value even after their passing. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, Jill, I'm curious. What what did it do for you to have Emily and others like her around you at the time when you were going through the 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 waiting uh, and a level of mourning? Because when you get that kind of news, there's almost a, a, a death of hope that that can occur when you don't even know the outcome. But having people around you, what what did that do for you when they spent the time with you and did the tangible things uh, after Noel was born? It constantly made us aware that we weren't walking alone. That's good. Um, we had, I remember two blankets that she made for us in the NICU and one was larger. And actually that one she had made before we knew that Noelle was going to be living. So I have even my maternity pictures with that blanket in it because we thought we would wrap her in that mm. when we buried her. Mm. And um, instead we put it over her NICU bed. And so it was this, this sign of friendship and life that went from death to life. And then a little tiny blanket that covered her in her bed. And it just always reminded me that there was someone else praying for us, that there was someone else who loved us and cared and who was helping lift our arms, so to speak, through the days when we felt like we couldn't keep going on because we were so exhausted or just, just weary from the trial. Yeah, well, that's good, okay. I want to show you guys a couple of things. This is this is the book, uh, Hope in the Morning, and you can count. No, the camera's not going to focus. Okay, this is this is Noel right here. <laughs> so you you can see uh, pictures, uh, and there's so many other stories in here, different situations, uh, 
things to say, things not to say. Um, just a testament to, I think, what is really an important ministry of the Holy Spirit through our lives to others, Christians, non-Christians, uh, in the book. And and so uh, I want to tell you where to get the book. It is at hopeinthemorning.com. Let's see. This is the website right here. Um, and Emily, there's some things that people are doing and continue to do. I'm trying to pull up the website here. Okay. There's the URL. Hope in the Morning is spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G for those of you listening to the audio only. Um, dot com. And people can be involved with their stories right now. Tell us what you're doing, Emily, on the website to uh, get others involved and and kind of start developing a community, some, some tips yeah. maybe for those who are comforting others and things like that. Yeah, so we have a section on the website where it says submit your story, and you can actually submit your story to me to be a featured story of the month. Hmm. And so we would lay out your whole story just like it is in the book where you talk about your suffering and you talk about the hope that you have. And then at the end, you would answer the same questions that the authors answer. Um, and include a picture or two as well. And then um, the the featured story that we have this month, her name is Bridget, and her story is about her little son, Tucker, and he's six years old. She was actually my roommate in college, Bridget was, and her little boy is six, and for the last year, he's been battling cancer. And so she shares her story on there, and again, it's like they're so, they're vulnerable with their stories, but Part of what I think is so beautiful about that is you see that the weight of their grief is not different just because you're a believer, but the hope that you have is radiantly different. And even as she faces whether or not her child will survive, she shows that hope in there. Um, but we are giving donations from the profits of the book this month to their family. Um, and so people can come on there and they can share their stories as well if they'd like to be featured on the, on the website. I love it. And, you know, and you make an important point because we do mourn as Christians uh, and we should. It's good. Uh, it's proper. But we scripture, scripture says we don't mourn as those without hope. Uh, right. and, and I love that you're helping to give hope to others. Um, you know, if you're if you're watching and listening and, and you need some comfort, this is a good resource for you. But for most of you you're going to encounter someone if you don't already know them right now who is in a difficult time and i'm telling you you i cannot emphasize the power of of presence of being there for someone of doing what you would think of as little things for them in god's economy they're not little they're mm -hmm. huge and this i think this goes so much just to the heart of who we are to be as christ followers and exemplifying his love and it's 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 simple in a sense but man the results what have you seen what, but what either one of you both of you what have you seen as you have been in this ministry uh in people's darkest times i would say one of the one of the things since the book has come out too it's been so encouraging to hear people say that as they're reading the book, that it has made them feel less alone, especially as believers, to mm. see that, like you're saying, Randy, just because you're a believer doesn't mean you don't suffer. It doesn't mean that your grief is less. It means that your grief is different. 
That's all. Like, it just means that you, you have a different coping mechanism. You have the Lord, you have a hope beyond this life. Mm -hmm. And so we've been able to see people that have talked about severe postpartum depression and reading these stories and how it's given them hope to go through um, a woman who lost her grandchild and how this was um, being a balm to her heart. Mm -hmm. We've had one reader who was a man, which I wanted to point out that this is just as valuable for men sure. as it is for women. Sure. Um, one reader who was a man wrote me and said, you know, this has actually made me rethink my interactions in the past with other people. And it convicted me about a relative who lost her dad 20 years ago, and I was not very compassionate. And I actually wanted to call her back up and apologize mm. for not being more compassionate to her in that time. We've had other men write in and say, you know, this has made me feel equipped to go alongside other men yeah. and kind of bolster them. And men need that because yes men are they're having to lead their families through their suffering you know if they lose a child they're now leading their family while walking through the loss of a child mm -hmm. and people think to come alongside the mother they don't think quite as often to come alongside the father and as men in the church they need to be bolstering these other men and carrying them up and helping sustain them mm -hmm. and this will help equip them with that i love it i love it well thank you so much is there anything you want to mention before i let you go this is very very instructional and helpful and encouraging and equipping. So thank you for that. Is there anything I missed before I let you go? Um, I would say two quick things. One is that there is there are hymns throughout this book as well. So there's hymns, there's original poetry, there's scripture throughout this in between every story. There are 21 stories. All of the hymns can be listened to for free on the website as well. Mm -hmm. And then those of your listeners that are interested in purchasing a book on the website, if they use the code HOPE, they can get 20% off. And that's good. And the proceeds for this are going to help further your ministry, which is wonderful as yes. well. A hundred percent of the profits go toward ministry. Love it. All right. There you go. If you're in that difficult time, there is hope. You need to know that first of all. But if you know someone going through a difficult time, you, you can be the face of that hope, which is the face of God, which is an amazing uh, honor to be able to be that. So appreciate both of you. Thank you both. Uh, Jill, thank you for telling your story. Emily, thank you for sharing uh, the ministry that God's put in your life and encouraging others, I think, to do the same. Appreciate both of you. Thank you so much for having Thank us. You. Thank you guys for watching. Uh, you can check out the website. It is Hope in the Morning. Where is it? There it is. Hope in the morning.com. There is hope, even as we mourn. We can be happy again because we are comforted by the Holy Spirit and by others. And you can be that comfort. So do that. Appreciate, appreciate you guys being there. Uh, this is the book right there. Go pick it up. And we'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live. I just come as a bankrupt sinner saying, Lord, have mercy on me.